0: Hello? I say, is anyone in here?
1: Welcome to the House of IDP! IDP? Crikey!
2: What the blazes is that?
1: In the House of IDP, we follow all players on both sides of the ball. On the Read and React podcast, we tackle everything you need to know to build a championship defense for your fantasy team.
3: That sounds terrifying! Don't you need to spend
1: hundreds of hours learning all about defensive players? IDP is an ancient evil, but
2: also the future. Listen to the Read and React, and we will arm you with all the arcane knowledge you need to defeat your enemies. Wowzers! You mean
1: you distill a huge amount of information about the hundreds of players in the NFL so that your listeners can dominate their leagues? What will that cost me? The podcast is free, but once IDP sinks its flaming hooks into you, it will steal your soul!
3: You're listening to the Dynasty League Football Podcast, where there is no off-season.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. You're listening to episode 301. I am your host, Matt Price, for my buddies, Ryan McDowell, joining us again after being on vacation last week. How are you doing, Ryan?
3: I'm doing well. I missed you guys last week. Miss listening to uh, getting to chat with George, but I'm glad to be back with you guys.
1: Yeah, we missed each other for two weeks in a row. I was I on a vacation before that? But uh, we also got Dan here. Dan never goes on vacation. He's the he's the workhorse of the group. I guess he, I guess Dan's the bell cow back of the the Dynasty League Football Podcast. How are you doing, Dan? Certainly not a three-down back, though. I need you guys uh, catching it out of the backfield for me, uh, taking some of the load off for sure.
3: He's like LeGarrette Blount, maybe. Okay, (laughs) touchdown vulture. Fantasy guys love him. That's good. That's good. I can take it.
1: And we are very, very excited to bring on one of uh, my favorite listens and really favorite Twitter personalities, uh, uh, especially when we're talking about rookies like we're going to be doing today. We have Paul on of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. You can find him at polly 23 ny and you can follow his podcast at S2SFootball.
2: Pauly, man, how are you doing? Doing great. Really excited to be here. Uh, really looking forward to uh, talking with you guys tonight and uh, talking about this rookie class. I mean, we're less than three weeks away now uh, to the NFL draft. We are just over two weeks
1: away. I mean, I I, I am so excited for this. Um, but before we do get into those rookies, we had a couple of news notes uh, that, that kind of happened between recordings here. So we'll talk about those first. Brian, I'll throw this to you first. Uh, Brandon Cooks to the Rams for the first round pick, uh, the 23rd pick in the first round and a sixth and uh, last season, they gave up the 32nd pick in a third. So they actually kind of, uh, you know, rented Brandon Cooks for a year and and really got him on that cheap rookie contract and got out before they had to pay him here. So talk a little bit about his dynasty impact and what you see for him in 2018.
3: Yeah, so as always, kind of a savvy, smart move by the Patriots. Um, even though their wide receiver uh, wide receiver group is pretty thin at this point, I still think, they weren't going to give him that big contract that he wants. So it it makes sense to go ahead and make this move. And they do uh, in, in some ways upgrade the pick that they spent on him last year. Uh, as far as Cook's value, I don't think it's quite as bad as uh, as some people are saying that he's basically going to produce Watkins type, type numbers from last year. I, I mean, I do think, I think he's a better receiver than Watkins. He's proven that already uh, in his career. And we know what that offense can do, but we also know that they're going to spread it around. There's plenty of options there uh, in LA. So uh, I expect uh, his, his value and his numbers to continue to drop, but maybe not quite as bad as, as people think. Uh, what, what was interesting to me, just following his ADP and things like that, his value is already dropping. His, uh, his March ADP was actually the lowest I believe it was the lowest of his career. I think that was correct, or or maybe the lowest of the past couple years. So he was already trending down even before the trade.
1: I have him at, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, but I thought I saw he was at wide receiver 13 in in April's ADP. Is that wrong?
3: Uh, I don't know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> unless I was looking at the rankings instead of the the, the ADP I think that's pretty right uh, uh, would you buy or sell him at, at that price? I, I'm I'm selling at wide receiver 13 prices personally
3: I, I would sell at wide receiver 13 price as well I think like I said though, I, he is trending down I expect him to, to continue that with this move I think a lot of people are, are concerned yeah he, he is wide receiver 13 so that that 26, uh, 26.5 ADP is the first time he's been out of the top two rounds in a couple of years. It's it's not his in, entire career, as as I said earlier, but it is the past couple of years. He's actually been closer to first round status, which I think a lot of people thought he was probably being overvalued or overpriced at that point. But yeah, he's he's going to continue to fall. I mean, just look at some of the guys directly behind him in, in April data. Uh, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jarvis Landry, Thielen, some of these guys that are there, we see we've seen their value going in the uh, in the right direction. So we could see uh, we could see Cooks fall to uh, maybe even the late teens, early twenties range.
1: Dan, uh, I've seen a lot of kind of hate going his way based on the fact that this is his third team. You know, that that part doesn't really bother me, but I heard some a few stats thrown out by J.J. Zacharison this week. Uh, they said that, you know, you know, he's basically been a de- deep ball specialist in his career. You know, I think he can run some of those crossing and intermediate routes, but that's kind of how the Patriots and the Saints used him. Uh, and Brady kind of has this you know the stigma about him that he's kind of a dink and duck quarterback, but his a dot in 2017 was actually nine point one whereas Goss was only seven point nine and then Brady was fourth in completed air yards per attempt, and Goff was only seventeen. So to me, this says like he's not going to produce as that deep threat that we've seen in the past. What do you think about Cooks in l a
0: well, you know i don't I don't worry. That much about the whole three teams. I have seen a bunch of stuff about that as well. And I, I just shrug my shoulders to that a little bit. He's still a weapon and, and a good coaching staff. And we have to at least give credit where credit is due in Los Angeles that that's a good coaching staff, especially that offensive staff that they're going to use him correctly. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate directly to our fantasy game. Um, Lots of people thought that Sammy Watkins should be able to perform in that offense and and be that deep threat and get the ball down the field. And that really didn't turn out all that much. There's a lot of mouths to feed. That's what, worries me the most in Los Angeles Uh, first of all Gurley's going to get all of his whether it be on the ground or through the air and then with those other pass catchers already in place I'm just a little bit concerned that there won't be enough opportunities now he's still going to catch four or five balls every game most likely we're going to be a little bit more dependent on him getting deep though and and getting into the end zone which scares me a little bit as a fantasy owner uh, especially considering
1: his price
0: overall, I like Brandon cooks, but I just don't, I just can't get on board with that price that you guys were talking about earlier.
1: Yeah, me either. I do think that the one kind of saving grace for him in LA compared to Watkins is that Watkins kind of went over, you know, basically just right before the season and really didn't have time to build a rapport with Goff. Whereas cooks has already been running routes with, with Jared Goff, So that that's a little bit encouraging Polly. How do you uh, see this breaking down for cooks in, in Los Angeles?
2: So I think Dan and Ryan did a pretty good job, kind of laying out, you know, the situation there with Cooks. And I kind of, kind of on the fence with both of them in terms of, I definitely would be selling in terms of if he was wide receiver thirteen. But I also look at it as an opportunity of maybe as a buy low window because I do think the panic maybe has went the other way. I know me personally, I got him in a league literally the morning after the trade, straight up for the one point one four pick. So I'll, I'll trade the 14 pick in a rookie draft for Brandon Cooks. Wow. I, I believe that Sean McAvey will implement him in a way, and I think Ryan said it, he's a better player than Sammy Watkins. I understand in the in the Dynasty community, we still want to believe that Sammy Watkins is going to become – Julio Jones, a guy like that, you know, like a superstar. And maybe he does in Kansas City, but he's shown no signs of that yet. Well, Brandon Cooks has been very productive across the board in every location that he's been in. That I do think with Cooks being traded there much earlier, you know, before training camp, not during training camp. And let's be, you know, if the Rams give him a contract, I got to imagine it's going to be in the $16 million range. You know, he he's done more than Sammy Watkins. I think they're going to have to pay him probably more than Watkins received in Kansas City. And all signs are that they're going to try to get that done before training camp. I can't imagine that they're going to invest that type of money and he's just going to do what Sammy Watkins did last year in, t- in terms of running clear out routes and opening up underneath. So I'm definitely concerned about. The overall, you know, target share, but I still think he's going to have a lot more than Sammy Watkins. So maybe he gets a hundred or hundred and five targets. I think Sammy Watkins was like seventy or seventy-five. If Cooks can get hundred or hundred and five, if he finds his way to seventy catches, I still think he could be, you know, a at least a low end to mid end uh, middle wide receiver too. And I still think, you know, there would be a little bit of a buy low window on that. That people are maybe starting to look at him as more of a wide receiver three. I'm not ready to go there yet
1: yeah i'm I'm more with you too I think a mid to late wide receiver two is well within his range there. I just the wide receiver thirteen price and I know that's a lot of it's based on age and and all that, but i just I can't buy at that price. Paulie, we'll go right back to you. Uh, The Patriots also involved in another signing this week. Jordan Matthews finally found a home, one year deal coming off of a knee and ankle surgery in December. You know, I just don't know where he fits really with this team. You know, they've got Chris Hogan, Julian Edelman's coming back. Jordan Matthews has typically been more successful in the slot. I don't think they're going to really let him do that with Edelman there. Um, And they tried to force him on the outside in Philadelphia, and it, it just never really worked out. So, Talk to me a little bit about what you see for Jordan Matthews here. Is this is he, is he going to make good on this? Is he even going to make the roster?
2: I mean, the contract says that his roster spot is very iffy and he's really going to have to prove it and earn it. You know, I think it was like a one year contract for $1 million and then incentives. So clearly he's not a lock to make that roster. I mean, if they invest, you know, in a wide receiver pretty early in the draft, and that's not usually the Patriots' way. So I, I'm not really saying that they're going to do that. It's gonna see how he ends up and how he looks based on his health. I mean, this it's amazing where he's gone from his first two years in the league to where we are now, like in terms of, you know, really being an afterthought. His game fits what the Patriots like to do in terms of that short and intermediate stuff. Like, you know, I think that's what you were talking about with Cooks, that he never really fit what they really like to do. So I noticed definitely a lot of overlap potentially with the patriots wide receivers with Edelman coming back and and Hogan and Matthews kind of you know runs in the same type of routes so At this point, I think he's a stash and see. If you have him in your dynasty league, you know, maybe someone's intrigued by it and maybe you can sell him. But I don't think I'd be actively buying him unless he was real dirt cheap. I'd probably, if I had him, would just kind of wait it out and see, unless I got a decent offer. And if I got, you know, if I got offered like an early third round rookie pick, I'd probably trade him for that, to be honest with you, uh, at this point, because I do think the depth at the wide receiver class, while I think it's, you know, we're talking about it more later, is lacking at the high end. I do think the depth is going to go well into the early to mid part. Of round three, so I'd, I'd be more comfortable taking a, a gamble on a rookie in the early part of round three than Jordan Matthews. So it really depends on if I'm looking to buy, sell, and, and if somebody in my league is excited about maybe the thought of him going there and and being an integral part and kind of remembering those Philadelphia days as him being a you know seventy eighty catch guy, eight nine hundred yards, six seven touchdowns. I'm not. I don't think I'm. Gonna, I don't think we're going to see that in New England. Yeah, I don't either. And you mentioned about
1: him potentially being dirt cheap. He is He's his, his ADP in April 2018 is about 160. That compared to his high in January 2017 at, at, at ADP of 38.67. So just around right around there, uh, right in early fourth round. So that's quite a fall for him. Dan, is that enough to convince you to buy him at this point? I'm, I kind of agree with Paul that I would sell for even like an early third, late second at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I did. The thing that caught my eye really was the one year deal that that he went out on the market and couldn't get anything more than that. And and he's had some success in the league, you know, that Paul was talking about. So um, to, to go to New England and, and maybe try to play with a winning quarterback and that opportunity, maybe that's why you signed the one year deal. Maybe there just wasn't another opportunity out there. I don't know. But that's that's the one thing that kind of caught my eye. A cheap deal, only one year long. You, you just wonder what his medicals are, are and, and if he's – I tend to agree with you guys, an early third. Um, any cheaper than that, though, if, if, if for some reason it was – his uh, value would plummet even more for any reason, I might take a shot or he might be the kind of guy that in a salary cap or in a startup that you get late for really cheap that you just hold on to for a year and see what happens. Uh, because, as we all know, in, in New England, uh, attached to Tom Brady and that quarterback, if he's able to do anything, that that value can go up drastically
1: really quickly. Ryan, wrap us up here with with J. Matt.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm I'm still concerned with the uh, just with the injury history with Matthews. Um, I mean, he really he showed his talent in those first couple of years, so it's kind of sad to see that this is. Where his career has gone so quickly, but uh, it it seems to be, it seems to be the case, the way I see it at least. So, yeah, I would I agree. I would sell for an early third.
1: All right, let's get into these rookies. That's why well. we have Paul on. Um, this is a Packer show. So before we get into our round Rodman segment, where we're just going to throw throw names at Paul and let him do his thing. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you, you know, I, I, where do you think the Packers are going to go in the first few rounds? I see their biggest needs is obviously in the secondary. You know, they moved on for Demarius Randall. Uh, along the offensive line is kind of always an issue. And, and then uh, really at wide receiver, I see kind of a kind of an opportunity there, depending on how you feel about Geronimo Allison being able to fill that, that wide receiver two slot, or, or, or maybe even depending on what they do with Ty Montgomery there. So uh, kind of selfishly here, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, what do you think the Packers should do here in, in the first couple rounds?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head there in terms of their needs. You know, we recently over at Saturday Sunday did a team by team preview of each uh, div- each division conference team by team, and when we were talking about the Packers, it was definitely honing in on cornerback help, like you mentioned, wide receiver, and obviously the O line. So I think you you have the three needs. I think the end of round one is intriguing because I do think there might only be one or two wide receivers off the board, but I kind of see them maybe going cornerback in round one. I think, you know, a guy like Josh Jackson or Mike Hughes or Isaiah Oliver could be on the board there. I think Denzel Warden, Jairi Alexander will be off, obviously. But I think there's still potentially four or five cornerbacks that could go off the board on round one. So I could see them going cornerback in round one. I think the sweet spot for them is, is on day two, the target wide receiver. I think they need a vertical prep because really, when you look at their team, you know, Randall Cobb is more of that intermediate slot guy. You know, they have Devontae Adams, but he's more of that guy that, you know, he's not a guy who beat you vertically down the field too often. That was pretty much Jordy Nelson's job. So I think the Packers really could be looking at a couple guys. I think Dante Pettis would fit there as a vertical threat. I think Deion Kane would be intriguing. I think those are two guys on day two, whether it's round two uh, or round three, that if one of them falls to their spot, I can see them making a move. They do think they need that vertical threat. That can stretch the the field a little bit vertically and open things up underneath because I think Allison's more of that short intermediate guy, pretty good of a route runner, almost more probably best suited to be like a big slot to be honest with you. If they had moved on from Randall Cobb, I think that actually might be Allison's best spot. But I think they need that guy who can stretch the defenses a little bit. So I think those guys who have that speed element to their game, maybe even a DJ Chark, if you're if you're talking strictly, you know, a vertical guy, you know, that could be a little bit of a sleeper pick there. You've heard some rumblings at the end of round one. I like him, but that's a little bit too early for my blood. But uh, I can see the fit though. So if he was to go there, I'd understand what they're thinking because it really could open things up for the rest of their offense. Paul, you're singing
0: music to my ears here because you mentioned a few guys that I'm really excited about. And as a Packer fan, I'd love to see one of those guys end up in green and gold. The, the name that really perked my ears was Deion Kane. I love that guy. His route running combined with his size and that speed that he showed at the combine. I think he's the most underrated receiver in this draft. I'd love to see him land somewhere with a quality quarterback and some good coaching. And see where he can go. I think there's a really good chance he's a better pro than he was a college player. I'm. I guess I'll kick things off on our round robin thing with these players. Uh, Dion Kane's one guy I really wanted to hear your thoughts on. What What do you think of Kane and his upside when he becomes a, a player on Sunday?
2: There are two wide receivers that I think are grossly being undervalued right now in, in the big media market, to be frankly honest with you. And over at Saturday, Sunday, we actually had Matt Wolman on yesterday and we picked his brain about these two guys as well. And it's Deion Kane and it's James Washington. So for the purposes of Deion Kane, I'll hone in on him. Deion Kane, I think, is one of the best in the entire class at getting off press. And that is important at the NFL level. So I like that. I like his ability to get vertical. He's a guy that he's got to clean up his hands a little bit. He's he's a little bit raw and you know he's got to be a little bit more refined. But I agree with you. I think his upside at the NFL level is higher than what we saw in college. And I think he's a guy who you know, is is once he gets to the NFL, he's already got an NFL body, he's got the speed to get vertical, and he's able to get off press with his size and his quickness there at the line of scrimmage and his physicality. And that's going to be so important at the next level because we see so many wide receivers come into the league and that's something that they really struggle with because the physicality and athleticism and size of the cornerbacks is so much greater at the NFL level than even competitive conferences in college football like the ACC or the SEC and those things. So I think Kane is an intriguing guy. I wouldn't be stunned if he comes off the board late round two. I think maybe he gets pushed down to to round three, but I think he's tremendous value for what he could potentially bring. And he's one of those guys I was talking about. I think there's a strong possibility somebody like Kane is there late round two or early round three in a dynasty rookie draft just because he might be like the 10th or 11th wide receiver that ends up coming off the board. And I think I don't think there's that much difference than the guys you are gonna get late round one in a rookie draft in terms of potentially upside you know down the line so I'm a big fan of Kane's game I think I have him on my rankings he is uh, he's right at number 10 for me but my four through like 12 literally can be shuffled up in almost any order they there's a razor thin uh, line between all of them and it's gonna dramatically uh change once they get in landing spots but a landing spot like green bay kane would be moving way up for me probably into my top six or top seven easily dan you, you jumped the gun on me a little bit there i wasn't done with packer talk i want to i want to know <laughs> well, that's you. fine
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: i'm all <alright> with that <laughs>
1: Uh, Paul, I want to know the chances that James Washington is going to be there in, in that middle of the second round for the Packers. He's my wide receiver one in this class. I just I just love the uh, everything he does from the ability to stack defenders, to get deep. I think he can u- be used on intermediate routes, even though we didn't see a whole lot of that in college. Um, his ability to beat press man coverage, also line is just incredible to me. Um, and that's one of the things that I really look for in a wide receiver. So that's my dream scenario as a wide receiver for the Packers.
2: I mean, do I think he should be there? No. Do I think he is going to be there? Yes. Because listen, the the big media market, like I think sometimes their rankings are a little bit pushed and motivated by what they're hearing for some regards. And no, James Washington is not showing up on anybody's top five right now. Not anybody from ESPN. Not Mayock. Not Daniel Jeremiah. You know the whole list of the whole list of characters that are the major media people. And I'm not really sure why. Like he went to the Senior Bowl. I mean, there was there was lunacy talk when people thought he was going to be the second best wide receiver from Oklahoma State at the Senior Bowl. Like I thought that was just people looking for a hot take. I mean, listen, Marcel Aitman is a solid wide receiver. He's not on the same level of James Washington, and people were really honing in that James Washington was a limited route runner. That was more of a product of Oklahoma State's offense than anything else, and he went to the Senior Bowl, and he showed his ability to get off press. He showed more you know, route running ability than we saw at Oklahoma State. I think he's a much more complete player. I know some people look at him and see Torrey Smith and i don't see that i see a Me much either. more polished guy i think he can do those things but i i see a guy that can be that can win in the short to intermediate game in addition to winning in the vertical game his he has two elite traits that i think when you see elite traits in a player that should almost immediately start pushing them up the rankings. And to me, his ball tracking skills and his ability to go up and get it at the point of attack and at the contested situation is outstanding. I know he's not that tall, but he's got really long reach. To me, he goes up and gets it like Steve Smith. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his game. He's number two on my board. Uh, and the only guy I have higher than him is Calvin Ridley, who I just think is the premier route runner in the entire class. That sounds
1: good. Um, one last question before we get to these, uh, the more of the round robin stuff. Dan, uh, <laughs> other than other than say Quan I think most people agree that he's he's pretty landing spot independent of where he's going to go. Are there any other guys that we might see go on day one or two that kind of stick to you stick out to you as, as a player that it doesn't really matter where they go, they're going to have fine success uh, wherever they might land.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Darius Geis is going to have success. I think whatever team drafts him, he's going to become the focal point of that offense in terms of a running game, whether or not he plays on third down and really is a contributor in the passing game might ultimately decide whether or not he has potential to be like, you know, a top five, top eight overall running back down the line in fantasy, or just a rock solid, you know, RB one, that's maybe more in that eight to 12 range. But I I have a hard time envisioning guys not being a guy that immediately pushes for eight to 12 touchdowns, unless it ends up with a guy who's Already locked in, and he and he kind of walks into more of a committee, kind of like when Derrick Henry was taken, and they already had DeMarco Murray there. You know, he kind of had to wait it out, and. and it's- the way it looks is Tennessee, maybe it's just not as high on Derrick Henry as, as some teams, you know, as some fantasy people want to believe, to be honest with you. But a guy like Darius Geis, if he ended up in Washington or a team invest like a late first round pick on him or an early second round pick, I mean, if he ended up with the Giants or the Buccaneers, I have a hard time not seeing 11, 1200 yards and eight to 10 touchdowns in year one. So I think Geis is pretty much wherever he ends up is going to be a success. I think he's locked in at the 1.02 pick. It would have to be a real either bad selection for him in terms of landing spot or somebody else would just have to land in the most perfect landing spot. And before the draft, I don't even know if I can envision a scenario where another running back lands in such a perfect landing spot that I would leapfrog him over guys in that 1.02 spot.
1: Ryan, uh, kick us off here. Throw a throw, a, throw a rookie at, at Paul and let's see what he's got to say.
3: Yeah, Paul, I know I know you're a big fan of Antonio Callaway. He's he's a guy that I think everybody who's watched him uh kind of knows that the talent is there and and probably knows the story as far as the off-field issues as well. And I know you have him ranked pretty highly. How do you separate uh, I guess those off-field issues and how are you viewing him as a fantasy asset knowing he he's probably going to be a late round pick or maybe even go undrafted depending on how teams, how concerned teams are about the the off field stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, I try hard in pre draft before the draft in my rankings to take out all of the noise about the character stuff. So, I did it last year for Joe Mixon. Same thing for Antonio Callaway. He's in my top five right now because on talent alone, I think he's explosive. I think he can win on every level of the field, short, intermediate. He can get vertical. He can play inside. He can play outside. Elite returner, probably right up there with the level of Dante Pettis. So I think he can win in a variety of ways. So right now he's in my top five. But if he goes in round six, round seven, goes undrafted, It would be naive of me not to impact my rankings because we know draft capital matters and it matters a lot. So, in terms of how much latitude a team is willing to give him, I think is squarely based on his draft capital. So, if he goes late round three or early round four and it's a good landing spot. I personally think a spot like San Francisco would be fantastic. I feel like a guy like Shanahan would really maximize the skill set prior to the Rams trading for Brandon Cooks. I thought that would have been an intriguing landing spot for him. One of those really creative coaches that would maximize his skill set. So if he lands in a good spot and it's in even round four, I might not move him too much in my rankings. But if it's if we're talking round late day three or undrafted, I have a hard time envisioning him staying in my top 10, but then he squarely becomes a guy that like, once we get to like round four, I'm making a move in my rookie drafts and going to get him like early on, just because I believe in the talent, but probably not to that like late round three or early round four, even though I think he's arguably an early round two, you know, type talent in terms of rookie drafts.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a good take for sure. Another guy, you mentioned him there, Dante Pettis. You already covered my, my main guy Kane, uh, that I wanted to talk to, talk to you about and I when I made my my few guys that I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on Paulie I I picked guys that I was higher than most on uh you know I'm not I'm not a scout or anything but I like to watch these guys and I pick up things and, and Dante Pettis was one guy that I keep Going back to you know he he played inside and outside in college and a lot of people think he can do the same thing uh, on Sundays as well. I think he's such a sharp route runner and so quick with with those really good hands. Um, he turns into that returner that you talked about before immediately after he catches the football. And I, th- I think he probably depends on the landing spot a little bit. I like him in the slot personally. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were on Pettis and where you thought he fit in best.
2: Yeah, so I mean, Pettis is a guy. Again, I think he's versatile to play inside or outside. He can. He's a really good route runner. My biggest concern about Pettis is his size. I I worry that as good of a route runner as he is, I worry about the physicality component of that game. That at the NFL level, he's going to get. Matched up with some really physical corners that want to get physical at the line of scrimmage that want to press him. I think you know again it's, it's going to be one of those things. If you try to do that and he gets off it, you're probably never catching up to him, and it could lead to a big play. So it's going to be one of those things that an NFL you know defensive coordinator and, and when they scheme against him, you got to be cautious about that. It might be maybe they don't fully press them, maybe they play a little bit off man, but then they get physical with him during the routes a little bit more than right up at the line of scrimmage. But I think he's a guy that. He can play inside, he can play outside. You know, a guy like John Brown, in terms of Brown, was able to win when he was fully healthy inside or on the outside. Same thing with T.Y. Hilton, he sometimes makes big plays inside and on the outside. I like Pettis a lot for me. He's actually right behind Deion Kane, so he's he's at like number 11 for me, and he's in that second tier where I, I really think it's all about landing spot. We talked about Green Bay, I think that would be an ideal landing spot. I also like the Falcons a lot. I think the Falcons could be looking to replace Taylor Gabriel. And I think a guy like Dante Pettis really would be intriguing because he'd add that vertical component. We know Julio can do that, but Sanu is much more of a possession type wide receiver, even more suited to be in the slot. To be honest with you, even even though he's a bigger, more physical guy, I think Pettis would be a perfect Third wide receiver uh, for the Falcons, who sometimes he can move inside. Other times he could be that guy on the outside and run the similar routes that Taylor Gabriel did. It'll be intriguing to see in year two. Uh, if their offensive coordinator opens it up a little bit more because once they lost Shanahan, the Falcons offense and game planning and and play calling was a lot different last year than it was the year before. A lot less creative, but a guy like Pettis, if they can go back to what they were two years in terms of their play calling and style, I think would really have a lot of success there in Atlanta. Pauly,
1: uh, I'm going to throw this guy to you mostly because he's my favorite player in the entire draft, John Kelly. I don't know how you can watch the Florida game and not just fall in love with this guy, you know, 5'9", <laughs> nothing, just throwing people with, their, with his stiff arms. I mentioned before he has those, those fangs on his, his mouthpiece. I, I've called him the Steve Smith of running backs. Um, I just love his game. Uh, t- talk to me about John Kelly, where you see him. I currently have him at running back five behind Barkley, Geist, Chubb, Michelle. Uh, I just love this guy, and I can't wait to see where he lands in the NFL.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of him. He's at he's at running back nine for me, but it's really just the depth of the class on how great of a class it is. But that Florida game, it's one of the best games you'll ever evaluate and scout for a running back. His contact balance and his aggression in his running style. To to be honest with you, and this is when Tennessee, I think, had him listed at like 200 pounds or 205 pounds, and he ended up checking in uh, bigger than that. And he said he wasn't really sure where that number came from. When he runs, he runs like Marshawn Lynch. Like the physicality and the ability to w- absorb contact is unlike any back that I remember seeing, especially at that size. Not like a two twenty-five or a two thirty back. It's really rare. It's special. He's not a guy who's going to make people miss in the backfield. He's not a you know sharp cut, change of direction, you know, in the backfield. But once you get him in open space, he's got really good quickness. And you combine that with his power, with his running style, ability to run through contact and break tackles, he picks up chunk yards, you know, in the second level of the defense once he gets there. So I really like that about his game. I don't think he's a breakaway Brett. That's not where, that's not his, what he's going to do. He's not going to have a lot of 50 or 60 yard runs, but he's going to be a guy who's going to turn seven yard runs into 12 yard runs, 15 yard runs into 19 yard runs and pick up that. And he's one of the, I'd probably say five or six backs in this draft class, you know, spread out from, you know, Barkley, you know, through maybe round four, who could profile as a three down back in a perfect scenario. Now we know how rare that is, you know, in the NFL for teams to really, you know, hone in on one guy that much, but he has the skill set that I think he could handle the workload and be effective catching at a backfield. I think a home run spot for him in round three or round four would be the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not a huge uh, Collins fan. I think he's a replaceable talent. And I think a guy like John Kelly would fit in perfectly there. I don't really think Kenneth Dixon is is a thing anymore, to be honest with you. So I think there's definitely room on that depth chart for him quickly to emerge. And I think he could eventually overtake Collins and potentially be the lead guy there if that was the spot he was to end up being selected by.
1: That's interesting because I, I see a, I see a little tiny bit of Ray Rice in his game, you know. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, Ryan, you're up.
3: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Alden Tate. Um, he's a player, I guess, early in this process. If you think about fantasy value or dynasty value, he was being mocked in the first round. And his stock just has – his fantasy stock, at least, has, seems to have plummeted uh the more people watch his, his film or or I guess learn about him I, I know you're not a fan of him uh so so I guess tell us why and, and maybe why he's a player we should avoid
2: yeah I mean Tate is a guy who I think this year could have went a little bit different if DeAndre Francois didn't get injured because I I'm a huge fan of DeAndre Francois he, he's a guy that will I think we'll be talking a lot about next year at this time so I do think he was really hurt by losing him. James Blackman really struggled to throw the ball. So I think we didn't get a chance to see Tate maybe grow into a bigger part. And the same thing can be said about Equanemia St. Brown this year too with the quarterback play at Notre Dame, that we didn't really get a chance to see these two guys develop that I thought maybe we were going to. So then we didn't get that opportunity to see him during the year. And then he goes to the combine and he tests out poor athletically that it's just hard to keep him up in the rankings. Like pre-combine, he probably was in that like 11 to 15 range for me. But then when he tested as poorly as he did, he just didn't even look good in, in the routes that he was running and his hands. It was hard not to push him down the board and kind of just throw him in the mix with those other big bodied guys like Joel Scott, Simi Cobbs, uh, Alan Lazard, and those guys, and that's kind of where I have him situated now, kind of with all those guys. I think he's much more of a three guy, a round four to round six type player. And you know, for a while, people probably thought he was going to go on round two. I always thought that might've been a little bit aggressive. I always thought maybe he was more of a round three, round four guy. Because I was was worried about the athleticism and his ability to create separation, but I thought he could be an elite red zone weapon, uh, and I got it had a win at the catch point. So I do think that he does offer some untapped potential. I think on day three, I had a team written down that I thought would be intriguing, and that would be the Colts. I don't think they have so many needs that I don't think they're gonna, you know. They might go so many different areas early on, and I'm not sure it's going to be at the wide receiver position. That maybe you know, round four, round five, they haven't gotten a wide receiver yet. I think it would be an intriguing fit. They obviously lost Dante Moncrief, which was more of that bigger, physical type wide receiver, more of a red zone weapon that I think Tate could fit in there nicely as like you know, shot in the dark on day three, and maybe he could have some success if if Andrew Luck comes back and is healthy.
0: The last guy I want to ask you about, Paulie, is the running back from Iowa, a guy I've had on my radar for a long time, and he kind of broke out this past year, running back Akram Wadley. Um, I just think he's that quick, shifty guy that so many NFL um, coaching staffs could use really well and others will just ignore and and he'll go away. And it feels to me – like, if he ends up in the right situation, he could be a, a PPR playmaker for dynasty owners. Uh, just real – he's so quick. And that, that slide step is as good as any I've seen in, in the last few years, for sure. Plus the pass catching. He seems really dependent on where he lands. Um, but I was wondering your thoughts on Wadley and, and what you th- thought his upside is if he ends up in the right spot.
2: Yeah, so – yeah, so I mean I, I like the player. I think there's a a group of them who are gonna be round four, round five picks. I don't think there's a big difference between a guy like Akron Wadley, uh Josh Jackson, uh Chase Edmonds. I think they're I think they're pretty similar players. I can see somebody even putting in that mix uh Mark Walton. I think Mark Walton has got a little bit a little bit difference to his game. But in terms of Wally, I'll start with the the big concern that I have is he did come in even smaller than was expected at the combine. He he came in uh around five ten and one hundred ninety four pounds. He's a guy who ha- carried heavy workloads at Iowa, so we know he could handle heavy workloads and he could run between the tackles, even though that, that's not his strength. You talked about his strengths: playing in space, his quickness, his agility, his change of direction ability, his receiving ability at a backfield—all really impressive stuff. But he's gonna be a guy at the NFL level that I think is squarely gonna to have to live in a world of, of a committee. And could he be on the could he be on the, the plus fifty side percent of that committee like a Deion Lewis potentially was for New England this year at times? Sure. But I, I think he probably is gonna be casted a little bit more of you know, more of that James White type would maybe a little bit more carries to his game, even though he was really a good runner in college. I could see him being cast a little bit more as just a receiving change of pace guy and really do his work in the receiving game. And if, if that's the case, then it's really going to be dependent upon where he lands and how much they maximize his receiving ability. A team that I had written down that I thought would be intriguing for him is the Seahawks. They don't have a lot of draft capital in this draft. They have a pick in round one and round four. They're actually one team that I almost, if I was going to say, the most likely to make a trade in round one. I, I'm pegging the Seahawks to be honest with you to move down a little bit to try to get a, some more draft capital on day two potentially, but. It, Right now, at this point, I don't know if we could ever expect CJ Proceis to be anything. So Chris Carson right now is at the top of the depth chart. Mike Davis is behind him. They don't really have a guy unless they're still holding their hope to CJ Proceis staying healthy. They don't really have that change of pace guy that can be a factor pass catching out of the backfield, you know, be a guy that maybe you get six to eight carries a game to, and then a couple of receptions and get him those 10 touches. So I think a spot like that, if he lands somewhere where he could get those 10 or 11 touches combined in a game, then I do think he could have some PPR value in fantasy leagues. It really depends on the team and the fit of whether or not they think he's exclusively a receiving back with an occasional you know, rush or two, or is he a guy that based on how much he handled the workload in college, could he be a guy that runs between the tackles a little bit at the NFL level? Are they going to give him that opportunity to maybe be an eight to 12 carry a game? Because that could be the difference. I think we know he's going to be used in the receiving game. It's just how much rushing attempts on top of it is going to matter whether or not he's really impactful in terms of fantasy.
1: Paul, I'm going to wrap up here with throwing two receivers at you. You know, this is a draft class that has kind of a lot of guys that that I think profile as, you know, to be most successful in NFL as slot receivers all the way up with high draft capital, a guy like DJ Moore, who I think can do some spot duty on the outside if he needs to. But I really think he's going to be most successful in the slot there. But two guys that can I think are going to be going to go a little bit later. um, One guy, Kiki Cutie, one of my favorite names to say in this draft class, And then Deshaun Hamilton uh, out of Penn State is is really rising up my boards here. So I'm going to throw these two guys together, compare, contrast if you like, uh, or just just talk about them individually.
2: Sure. So I'll kind of – Doing both at the same time. I think they're both round three, round four guys in terms of their NFL draft value, but they are very different players. In, in terms of Cote, I think he's a guy who is a vertical threat. You want to manufacture some touches for him, get the ball on space, you know, those wide receiver screens, quick slants, But at the same time, he could also win vertically. I have him very similar to John Brown. And actually think Arizona would be an ideal landing spot to replace John Brown. They don't really have that vertical weapon there. We know Larry Fitzgerald is going to basically be the guy in the middle of the field, but they really need to upgrade the outside wide receiver positions and Cote is one of those guys who I think could play inside or outside. So he's he's a guy that some team might say, "Oh, Fitzgerald maybe would with, with Fitzgerald be in there, that might not be an ideal landing spot, but I do think they can do some stuff with him on the outside and move him around and and be creative with him. And if they put him in a creative offense, I think he can be a, a somewhat impactful player because I do think he's a guy you can run some jet sweeps with. You can do a lot of different things like I think back also to a guy like Tyler Lockett in his first year where he really was successful and he He really had a fantasy, you know, uh, moving into, I believe it was year two, unless I'm off and it was into year three, where he was a real hot commodity in the dynasty industry. And then injuries and, you know, Seattle's offense at times really kind of derailed that a little bit. I kind of see Cote as a guy who can play inside, play outside, get vertical, but also do things, you know, underneath and create yards after the catch. Well, Hamilton, on the flip side, I think he's more of a slot receiver only, but I think he's a really good, precise route runner if anybody wants to pencil somebody in to be this year's Cooper Cup, I think it's Deshaun Hamilton. I think he's one of the better route runners uh, in the entire class. You know, We have Calvin Ridley at the top, but I think Deshaun Hamilton is squarely in the top three or four route runners in this entire draft class. He's got to clean up his hands a little bit. Uh, That was a little bit of a concern at times, but really good route runner. Uh, it's It's built differently than some slot guys, and that's why I think Cooper Cup's a good fit. I actually think the perfect landing spot for him is the Houston Texans. They need, I think, a third wide receiver to complement uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller's game. Will Fuller's outside vertical threat. DeAndre Hopkins can do it all. If they don't really have a pass catching tight end and an effective slot receiver, I think if you put Hamilton in the slot there, you really open up now the offense where you can you can really potentially be hurt by the slot wide receiver, the guy running vertical routes, and then the do it all star in DeAndre Hopkins. I think he'd be a perfect complement to that offense in terms of what his skill set would be. So it'd be intriguing to see if the Texans look. There's a bunch of slot guys, but it'll be I think I think Hamilton might be the best fit of any of them uh, with Deshaun Watson and that uh, duo they already have there.
1: Yeah, I I love that landing spot for Hamilton. Uh, I, I, that would that would be incredible with Fuller as the burner, like you said, and and Hopkins as kind of the do everything guy. Um, we're gonna wrap up. We're actually gonna give Paul a little break from talking. He's been talking a little bit, so we're gonna we're gonna actually do a quick little mock here. We got about fifteen minutes or so left in the show, and we'll kind of go as far as we can, at least through the first round here. Um, and I did a quick little randomizer. Paul, you ended up with the fourth pick. Ryan with the third. I got the second. And Dan, start us off with the one one. Well one on one is so easy i'll I'll just take Barkley, and we can go quickly to number two and try to get more picks in right sure yeah, yeah and I'll take guys for pretty much the same reason he's pretty much locked in in my second spot there. Uh, I think you could have make an argument for Michelle or Chubb there I think a lot of guys have Chubb there at two now, but I'll, I will stick with guys at 102
3: yeah I'd say three is is certainly where things get interesting. I would go with uh with Nick Chubb at this point based on what we know now so i'll I'll say Chubb at the third spot.
2: So at one point oh four, I will uh, take his running mate there from Georgia, and I'll take Sony Michelle. Back to you, Dan. At one oh five.
1: Oh, okay. I thought we were gonna snake this thing. That uh, oh, we'll, we'll that do a full sense. twelve. We'll do a full twelve. For okay. You. I'm. Uh, this is an
0: interesting one for me. I would have hoped that one of those Georgia running backs would would slide down. So uh, choosing between taking the the fifth running back or going with the top wide receiver, I'm gonna go wide out. And go with Kelvin Ridley. I, I like Pauly. I believe he is the top receiver in the class. And I think it's bar none because of that route running. I'm hoping he lands in a, in a dynamite landing spot and is the top receiver taken in the draft. So I feel pretty good about getting him at five.
1: I feel like value-wise uh here at, at 106, like DJ Moore is kind of screaming at me. He's not my wide receiver one in this class, but I think I could probably get James Washington later if this was an actual rookie mock. So I'll go ahead and take DJ Moore here at 106, 105, right. 106, whatever it is. <laughs>
3: 106. <You're, laughs> you guys are making it easy. Uh 107, I'll take Richard Penny. Uh, I expect – Again, based on what we know now, I expect most rookie drafts to start with five running backs, including Penny, so I like him at the seven spot.
2: So with the 1.08 pick, I'll keep the running backs going, and nobody has had a worse pre-draft process, I think, than Ronald Jones, but I'm still believing in the talent. On film alone, I think he's right up there after Barkley and Geis equally as talented as any of uh, the Michelle and Chubb and and Penny. So I like Ronald Jones. I think his burst and acceleration once he gets fully healthy is really good. I think his overall fantasy value between good, very good, great or elite is really going to depend on his his, uh, receiving ability at the next level. So I'll take the gamble here that he gets healthy and he still goes on uh, night two of the NFL draft.
1: Paul, real quick, just to pause a little bit, do you think he is a guy that can, even despite the lack of profile in college, that he is a guy who can catch the ball well in in the pros?
2: Yeah, I saw enough glimpses of it that I do think uh, he can be an effective receiver out of the backfield. Is he going to be an explosive running a lots of different routes? No, I don't think that's his game. But I do think once he has the ball in his hands, he can make some things happen. So as long as he's playing a little bit on third downs, I mean, we even saw Leonard Fournette last year, like he was able to be effective as a, as a receiver. And I think Jones has more upside than a guy like Fournette had. It's just about being on the field in those opportunities to even get those you know possible receptions.
1: Yeah, I think as collectively as a, as a community, we need to stop just because someone hasn't shown the ability to do in college doesn't mean they can't do it. I think that's a really easy way out. Uh, and even guys that we've seen it done on limited ability, limited or limited role in college, I, I think uh, we should be able to project them to have a little bit better of a, of a receiving ability in the pro. So um, sorry to interrupt there. Back to you, Dan at 109. So at nine, I'm I'm happy to get
0: Cortland Sutton here. I'll uh I'll take my second receiver uh that late in the first round. And I know everybody and probably everybody talking here right now would probably agree that that, that top three or four wide receivers is interchangeable depending on who you talk to. And then that group after that is interchangeable as well. I I believe that as well, there's going to be a lot of happy campers at the end of the first round in drafts because there'll be guys that love Cortland Sutton or some of these other players that we're about to talk to talk about going late in round one and uh, getting them there will, will put smiles on their faces. So I'm happy to take Sutton here.
1: At the tenth pick in the first round, this is kind of right where I want to take John Kelly in real rookie draft. So I'm going to go ahead and grab him here. as my running back five, as I mentioned earlier. Um I, I think he's probably going to be more like a, an ADP of like a, an early second, maybe even mid second round pick once it depending on landing spot there. But I want to make sure I get my guy here at one ten. So I'll take
3: Kelly. You surprised me, Matt. I thought you are I thought you were going in a different direction there. Uh, So I I like the choices at the 11 spot. There are three wide receivers I really like. Uh, I'm going to take, I guess, my favorite, although I think, again, all all three are are pretty close for me. Uh, I'll take Equinemia St. Brown at the 11 spot.
2: So at 1.12, I was thinking I was going to go running back, I mean, wide receiver here, but – a running back that I am very high. He's my number 5 running back. Still on the board. I'm going to take Carryon Johnson. I think he profiles as a potential parade down back. I think he gets better as the game goes on. I think he's got surprising athleticism that maybe people didn't see at Auburn at times. While he didn't run the 40 at the combine, the rest of his drills tested out really well. I think he's a guy that could really be a guy that carries a heavy workload if he ends up in the right situation. I expect him to probably come off the board middle of round two to early part of round three in the NFL draft. So I think he'll have the draft capital uh, to make him a worthwhile investment here. Just
1: to recap real quick, the first round we had at 101, Saquon, two guys, Chubb, Michelle, Ridley, DJ Moore, Rashad Penny, Ronald Jones, Cortland Sutton, John Kelly, ESB, and Carry On Johnson at the 12th pick there. Dan, start us off in the second round here. We, we still have 10 minutes left, so we can we can get through a whole second round, I think.
0: Uh so again, it goes to back to wide receiver. And I was one of those guys that was stating I was gonna pick more running backs in the first round, but uh, for for now, the third time in the top 13 picks, I'm going to go wide receiver and take James Washington oh. for all the reasons that you guys talked about earlier when we when we kind of covered him. Uh, I think his his draft capital is is most likely to skyrocket or or at least stay stay where it is right now. Um, he's got a really high floor and if he's drafted into the right spot, we could, we could see him talked about as one of the top, top receivers and to get him at 13
1: feels pretty good. You broke my heart there, Dan. I thought I'd come away with my two favorite players in this draft and Kelly and Washington. Uh, but that's okay. Some really good options still here. I, I'm going to go ahead and take Christian Kirk here uh, at the 202 pick. I, I think he's a, one of those guys that I think can be successful at really any landing spot that, that he goes to. So I think he's pr- a pretty safe pick here in the early second.
3: Yeah, you know, I've, I've done a lot of mock drafts, uh, rookie mocks, and it really seems like these, these top 14 that we've taken here are the top 14 that are coming off the board. So I, I feel like this is uh, a teardrop from uh, I guess 14 overall to 15. This this is a spot where I would either hopefully try to move up, but if not, uh, then then just move down in the draft and maybe take some more uh, take some more shots on later guys. That's not going to happen this time. So I'll just uh, I'll just grab the guy I like best from what's left, and that is wide receiver Michael Gallup
2: at 23. So at 2.04 there's a couple of ways here that again this is where I kind of talked about we get into a little bit of no man's land with the wide receivers that I, I really do think there's not much difference between who's going to come off the board at say 2.03, 2.04, 2.05 and who's going to come off the board in the early part around 3. So I'm going to go at it on a limb and and take arguably one of my favorite players in the draft and we haven't had a chance to talk about him tonight. And that's Kalen at running back out of Arizona State. I absolutely love his game, but there is nobody that's more dependent upon where he ends up in a landing spot. If he lands up with a coach that knows how to maximize his receiving ability, I think he could be an impactful player in year one. On on athleticism and receiving ability alone, he reminds me of David Johnson when David Johnson came out of Northern Iowa, or more recently, a guy like Kenyon Drake, where his running, his vision, his instincts need to develop. But right now, if you if you put him in a situation where he can get matched up on linebackers or safeties, I think he can really be a dynamite player on limited touches because of his receiving upside.
0: That's an eye-opening pick for me, Paulie. Uh, I've never been a big fan of him, really, but I'm going to go back and, and take a look based on what you just said. I uh, never really saw him as the 16th best player in the draft in in our rookie drafts. I'm gonna I'm gonna think twice about that after after that endorsement though. I'm gonna go back with this pick to a guy we talked a lot about earlier, Deion Kane. You guys mentioned that you, you could see him fall into the third round in drafts and that won't happen in any that I'm in. I'll be taking him in the second round. I feel really good about getting him. I agree with Ryan quite a bit that there's a big teardrop right around this point and after you get to 14 or 15 you start scrambling a little bit or your eyes start glazing over at the names uh lots of them look the same and when that happens to me I'm going to go right to Deion Kane because he's a guy I want on all my teams
1: the guy that stands out to me here at 206 is Royce Freeman he you know, you can't argue with the production. He's got ideal NFL size. I think the one knock on him really is that receiving ability again, that we don't really know if he can or can't do it. Um, So uh, I feel pretty comfortable here. If he lands in the right spot, I I think he could be easily be at least a a team's lead back in a committee. if not more than that.
3: Uh, At this mid point in the second round, that's really where I start looking for the tight end one and the, or the quarterback one, uh, depending on, Uh, how of course how the NFL draft has gone and uh, I kind of feel like like Polly said like the the running backs and wide receivers are starting to dry up some some good talent left certainly but maybe not a big gap between this pick and uh, a lot of the guys in the third round like Paul said so I will go with my tight end one uh, Mike Kosicki from Penn State
2: Yeah. So Gusecki was a guy definitely was on my radar for potentially the next pick here. Uh, But at 2.08, I'm going to go back to the wide receiver board and I'm going to take Anthony Miller, who's my favorite wide receiver left on the board. He's my number seven player. Until recently, we hadn't had a chance to see him test out, but he tested really well at his personal pro day. I think he's a guy that if he lands in the right spot, you know he could be a guy that's as impactful as maybe you know James Washington or Christian Kirk or you know even some of the guys like DJ Moore. I don't think there's a huge gap between them in terms of their overall actual talent on the field. So I think it's really going to be landing spot, you know, target share, how quickly they they rise up depth charts. So I'll go here with Anthony Miller at two point oh eight. I agree with
0: what Ryan said uh, on his last pick. I I would have gone Giseki here for sure. I, I actually considered him when I was on the clock at 17 and, and uh, decided to go with Kane uh, and then quickly drop my head as soon as Ryan made, <laughs> made his <laughs> pick because I really wanted him here I'm gonna do the the other flip the the flip of the coin for Ryan and I'm gonna take the quarterback and although my rankings don't suggest I would go this way I'm I'm, I'm leading more and more towards this whole Lamar Jackson Jackson hype and I really feel like he's going to go in the first round. I'd love to know what Pauly thinks of that, if he will go there and how quickly he can be a contributor. It kind of feels to me like, like he's the riser that could suddenly make an impact and the most likely to become a dominant player for, in, in Dynasty. Um, so I would take the plunge and go with Lamar Jackson here.
2: Yeah, just to, to jump in there, I think Lamar Jackson definitely is going round one. I think uh, Baltimore and Arizona are the two spots that I would watch most closely. Unless one of the other quarterbacks starts to fall down, I could see either Baltimore uh, taking him or Arizona. So I do think Jackson does not get out of the first round.
0: I, I've, I would, I've actually started thinking more and more about it, Paulie, and, and thinking that is there a possibility that teams are going to trade up and move into the ten to twelve range or, or inside of the top fifteen
2: to get Lamar Jackson, a guy that we not that long ago were talking about falling down draft boards? I mean, if if four of the first, let's say, five picks are quarterbacks, I would not be surprised if if, if if there's a trade in that range that you were just talking about there, because there's talk that Miami was looking quarterback. We obviously know Buffalo's looking quarterback. Uh, Arizona's looking quarterback. I mean, Baltimore's done a lot of work. And uh, Los Angeles Chargers have done a lot of work. The Saints have done a lot of work. The Patriots have done a lot of work. If If one of these teams loves Lamar Jackson, and I don't believe the other guy too, Mason Rudolph, should go in round one but I wouldn't be surprised if both of those guys go in round one. And I think think a trade is realistically in play if four of the first five guys are the, the big quarterbacks that we've been talking about. I can see one of those teams saying, we want to get ahead and make sure we get Lamar. And it might not be a team that's quarterback needy right now, It might be a team like the Saints or the Chargers or even the Patriots, but I doubt that, who are maybe looking to leapfrog the Cardinals, who maybe are in a little bit more dire of a need to get a quarterback. I can see, or even Buffalo. So I think 10, 9, I think those could definitely be a spot where we're not expecting a team to try to leapfrog You know the Bills and the Dolphins and the Cardinals to go up and maybe get a fifth quarterback if they really are high on Lamar or a guy like Mason Rudolph.
1: You said my favorite landing spot for them, Pauly, the, the, the Saints. I think that would be an incredible landing spot if they decide, you know, they don't really have a whole lot of needs. They could use some more on the defensive end, I guess. They could maybe use another wide receiver, uh, depending on – actually, does this break yet? Did, Ryan, you might know this. Did Cameron Meredith, uh, did he get matched, or is that still open in the open?
3: It's still open as, okay. as, as, as of our recording. Uh, w- okay. that Wednesday is the deadline for that.
1: Got it. Um, So I I would love to see the Saints go grab him uh, and and see what Sean Payton could do with him in a couple of years once Breeze finally does move on. But Dan, you did snipe me again there. Jackson was my guy. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to go back to the tight end position. And I really think that whichever one of these three guys basically lands on in New Orleans, if they decide to take a tight end is really going to be end up being the tight end one uh, rookie for fantasy. And I'm going to go ahead and take Dallas Goddard, my tight end one here in this class.
3: All right, you guys both sniped me. I was uh, hoping for Lamar Jackson and Goddard was my next choice, so I just don't see enough separation with the other quarterbacks um i would I would prefer to wait, and maybe if I missed out on Lamar Jackson, who is my quarterback one, then I would either try to trade down or just be happy to take the uh, the fourth or fifth one in that tier rather than taking another quarterback here. I'm going to go with a guy we talked about earlier that uh, I asked Paul about. Uh, I'm going to take Antonio Callaway at the 211 spot. Wow.
2: Love the pick. He was going to be my pick here to kind of close out the second round. Again, I think this is the spot where if he goes late round three or early to middle of round four, I'm comfortable in this situation. If he goes later than that, I kind of feel like I can hold out a little bit longer unless it's just in a perfect landing spot and then maybe someone's willing to gamble. But I'm always leery if somebody's draft capital is like round six, round seven to invest too highly uh, in a pick in him. So I I like this spot, though. Obviously, pre-draft, we're basing a lot on talent. So I think Callaway is a good pick. So I'll finish this off with my tight end one. But I do agree uh, with what was said, that landing spot, I think, is really going to dictate the top three. But I think there's a massive, massive uh, teardrop to the second tight end group after Hurst, Gusecki, and Goddard. So I'm going to say Hayden Hurst. I know some people are concerned about the age If I can get one contract and then a second contract into his early 30s and get, you know, seven, eight years out of him, I'll gladly take it. He reminds me a lot of Greg Olson, his ability to attack seams, make plays after the catch. And the one thing that I think is not talked about enough with him is he's a really solid blocker. And I always come back to somebody might say, well, why is that relevant in fantasy? That means he's going to be on the field more than a guy like maybe Mike Geseki. So I think Mike Geseki, you know, might have the most upside, hands down. Or if Goddard can transition from the small level school, but I think Hurst, in terms of immediate playing time, has has a chance to be on the field as much because of his blocking ability. And if he's a seventy or eighty percent player, that's going to increase his opportunity to potentially, you know, make catches, score touchdowns. So I'll take Kane Hurst there because after that, it would be a long while for me before I. Uh, invest in a tight end unless somebody landed in an ideal landing spot uh, on round three or you know late round two of the NFL draft.
1: Paulie, elaborate there a little bit because it seems like most people have Mark Andrews in that top three uh, and, and Hurst just outside of that. So why is why is it a big drop to Andrews?
2: Yeah, I just think listen when I watch these guys in the summer. Andrews looked really explosive and athletic. And somewhere along the way, I I just heard recently that he kind of gained weight during the year in preparation for being more like a traditional tight end. And I think when I watched went back and watched more recent film, he just didn't look as explosive and as athletic. I mean, you saw big plays, but a lot of that was manufactured by the offense. He was like completely by himself, like no one even near him. And everything that I've gathered, I I try to pride myself on really having my ears to the ground in terms of you know where these guys are going to go off the board. And it kind of seems like Mark Andrews is not really on the radar as a round two guy. I wouldn't even be surprised if he doesn't go round three. I think he could be on the board early round four on the third day of the NFL draft. And I think Hurst has a legitimate chance to go in round one. So I think there's going to be a big NFL draft capital difference between those guys. So between that and the athleticism and the blocking ability, I'm I'm a much bigger fan on Hearst now than I was than I am on Andrews. So for me, Andrews and Ian Thomas and Christopher Herndon kind of make my next tier, uh, so to speak. Herndon is a little bit of a wild card for me that I really like. We haven't seen much of him since his injury, but I think Andrews is more in that where I'd probably start looking at those guys, you know, late round three or round four in a rookie draft. But they wouldn't really be on my radar here or even in the early part of round three.
1: I think dynasty owners would, would take issue with the fact that he's 24, but you know, I mean, take three years to develop. You're going to be 27, but tight ends play longer. They play deep into their 30s. We've seen it over and over again, um, so that does isn't necessarily concerning that, that position for me, and I've, I've kind of long thought Andrews was a product of Baker Mayfield, so uh, uh, that 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 uh, definitely jives with what I I, I I feel, too, at that position. Paulie, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Just, just a ridiculous amount of knowledge you dropped on us today about this rookie class. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you and what cool stuff you guys are doing over at Saturday and Sunday in the future.
2: Sure. I just want to say uh, thank you for having me on. Greatly appreciate it. This is such a fun time of the year uh, to go on other shows to have guests. You know, on Saturday to Sunday, just to talk through these prospects and and get a feel for different takes and different opinions because that's really what makes it fun uh, hearing other people's opinions and takes and where they have people. You know, kind of rank themselves uh, in terms of uh, where they can find my work. Uh, you mentioned earlier, on Twitter it's polly 23 ny The Saturday to Sunday handle is s s football. But the real thing I want to kind of plug a little bit is this year was the first year Matt and I uh, produced the the premium notebooks. It's $9.99. It's not too late to still buy them. And for that $99, you get four notebooks. It's the 2018 scouting notebook, which has about a hundred player profiles of prospects in the 2018 draft class strengths, weaknesses, how they win, NFL role, scheme, draft projection. And it also has all our notes from underclassmen from last summer. So they haven't been updated since last summer, but they are a part of it. You get the rankings and tiers notebook, which has our you know rankings based on film. It's going to have our dynasty rookie rankings, our Debbie rankings, our tiers. You also get the recently released freshman notebook, which is for nine, uh, you get 50 player profiles of the top incoming freshmen. It is a must have for anybody who plays in deep devvy leagues. And then released within the next week or two is the draft projections notebook, which is gathering everything that I'm hearing so people could and I lay it out in terms of how I expect it to go, so you can kind of compare that with our takes, but then also maybe what the NFL thinks of these guys. And it's every a tab for every single position, offense, skill players, O line, defense, and then a top thirty two uh, estimate guess, a top one hundred, and then a guess at every single pick taken in the draft. So last year we accurately predicted two hundred and twelve names, so we're setting the bar at two thirteen to see if we can get there this year. So get over to the website, click the premium. Uh, content tab. And for $9.99, you get uh, all four of those notebooks.
1: Seriously, you guys, uh, Paul is awesome. Saturday to Sunday is awesome. Matt Caraccio is awesome. Polly's co-host. I've, I've had a lot of conversation. Both of us did a little bit of work at the Scouting Academy, which I know you guys are big proponents of uh, and did a lot of talking players through that. Uh, but I want to thank you again. Thank you to Ryan and thank you to Dan for being here again. I'm Matt Price. You can follow myself at MPricer. You can follow Ryan at MC23. You can follow Dan at DMyler22. You can follow the pod at DLF Podcast. And of course, once again, you can follow... Uh, Paul Perdicchisi at Poly23. And why I messed this up as we get up. We're going to get out of here, guys. I will see you next week with another awesome guest that's going to blow you guys away with some rookie coverage. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll talk to you next time.